And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Encore Guard, who will be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Encore, what's up, buddy? How's it going, man? This is an honor. Oh, I'm glad to have you. We've got so much to talk about before we get too far into that. And also, before I forget, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Now, I'm excited to have you as my co-host today because we get to talk about all kinds of stuff. We get to talk about creating brands, controlling markets, brand packaging, influencers, stuff. And, uh, and my normal co-host, Matt Watson, would be rolling his eyes right now because these are none of those are his favorite topics. So we told Matt to take the day off. We said, go do whatever you want to do, Watson, and we're going to talk about all this stuff. So with me today, once again, Encore Garg, the CEO and founder of AKG Creative. This guy has done a lot of cool stuff, and we're going to see how much of how many interesting and engaging stories we can pull out of this dude in the next 45 minutes. So Encore, once again, welcome to Startup Hustle. Why don't you get us started by giving us your backstory? Yeah, um, I'm the opposite of Matt, apparently. So everyone can rejoice. Well, today won't be boring. I'm like the, the other Matt. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, to be honest, man, I am a first generation immigrant. My parents brought me over when I was 10 months old. So as soon as they could leave India, they they brought me over for that American dream. And uh, throughout my teenage years, I hustled a lot. I actually ended up going to college and graduating uh, in three years with two degrees. Went on to get my MBA and uh, pretty much just started entering different areas of the market based on you know, what I saw was, was popping off at, at that time, right? So you look at things like the Google boom was happening, right? People were shifting from MapQuest to Yahoo Maps, Google Maps, and, and things like that. And getting businesses registered on everything was just such a big piece of lead gen for people back then. And uh, eventually that led to me finding uh, my passion, which was creating products that people actually love to buy and continue to buy. And uh, I mean, you think you support professional services for most of your career. And uh, all of a sudden, you're making money while you're sleeping. Like, who doesn't love that, right? Uh, literally, you have sales that happen through Amazon, through your website in the middle of the night, and you wake up and there's more money in your bank account. And I'm like, yep, I'm closing up shop. I'm doing this for uh, the next decade of my life. And I had some successful brands, ended up exiting. And, uh, you know, that, that lovely Silicon Valley term of having six plus exits in my, in my career has been kind of nice. And as I said, I've just been consulting. I think it's a real shame when I see other startups out there that haven't been able to, you know, take their brand to where they want to take it. And so I've been trying to help out as many people as I can. Yeah, and and my friend, you are quite humble with your description of yourself because Encore has built brands that have earned over 125 million dollars in revenue. That's a lot. 
That's a lot. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that they'll they'll teach you in business school is that nine, like over 90% of businesses never, ever, ever hit a million dollars in revenue in a year, much less those bigger numbers. Now, some of the things that you mentioned, you talk about making money while you sleep. Um, I remember 10 years ago, you know, starting into the, the e-com business and, you know, building websites that uh, more or less advanced affiliate stuff. They were related to live event ticketing and then also our business uh, at the time, which was a ticket brokerage. You know, we'd wake up and I'd be like, holy shit, we did $10,000 in sales overnight. You know, you wake up now. That's an interesting morning because you get a lot to do, but it was always so welcome. And I'd say to it was my girlfriend at the time and now my wife, I'd say, wow, you know, we made $1,500 profit while we were sleeping. How cool is that? <laughs> and so, yeah, so I went ahead and did that for almost a decade. But, but much like yourself, I've seen a lot of startups and a lot of early stage businesses make a lot of mistakes when it comes to their brand. I think a lot of people are very passionate about whatever they're creating, meaning like the physical item. Uh, whether it be a supplement or a lawn chair or a crutch, you know, whatever it is, they're passionate about it. Then all of a sudden they realize, man, I'm not very good at marketing. Is that, I mean, is that the same thing that you run into? Like they're, you get passionate creators and inventors and then they're like, oh, wow, now I got to figure out how to sell this. Man, if I only had a nickel for every time I met uh, a startup person who was really good at like 20%, of the whole form, the formula, but really bad at the other 80. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting when, when you find that group of people that are aware that the, st the stuff that they're bad at, and then there's the people that think that they're great at everything and you know, can't figure out why they're plateauing. Yeah. And so what are some of the early things that you think that, and by the way, I'd have a truck, I'd have a dump truck full of nickels if that was the whole thing too. And I run into that a lot and you know, you're right. There is the aware and the non-aware entrepreneur at that point. I think that, you know, we've spent so much time, Matt and I and our guests talking on the podcast about, you know, filling that gap, understanding what you're good at and what you're not. Uh, so many people in the software business are good at creating software and they are terrible at marketing or selling it. So what are some of the, the things that you see, what are some of the common errors you see when people are creating brands and their messaging? Okay. So, uh, I'm going to take a step back and just try to simplify this for the entire world, right? So there's three letters, X, Y, and Z, that I'm going to use to create a formula so that everyone can kind of understand this. X, we're just going to call as the product, because I'm sure at some point in history, you've heard of product X of someone going into the lab and making something. Y, we're going to go ahead and call your audience, right? So, you know, generation Y, it relates to people, that whole concept. And then Z, we're going to essentially call marketing right? Because it's the, the whole soup to nuts, everything that you can do to kind of create something. So to make money in this world, it's X plus Y equals dollar sign. And, you know, you got to have a product that's good, right? That people want. You have to actually have access to those people who are your audience that want to buy it. And if you put those groups together, you can actually get some dollar signs on the, out on the other end. Now, if you take that X plus Y and you put parentheses around it and you raise it to the Z power, that's your marketing, right? So your marketing will, able, will be able to exponentially slow down or increase the rate at which dollar signs appear at the end of the formula. Now, a lot of people think that because their X is really great, because they have the greatest product, they found a way to innovate, that you know they're good, they, they deserve the dollar signs at the end. But if your Y is zero and your Z is negative 0.001, you're going to end up losing money, right? 
if you don't invest in all three things at the same time, you're going to fail. And the dollar signs will never be the amount that you want it to be. And I feel like not enough startup guys understand that. Now, there, there's super popular influencers, right? Someone like, uh, you know, Kylie launching, you know, her makeup brands and the things that she's doing. If she isn't able to create a good product just because she has a great audience, it doesn't mean that anything's going to happen at the end, right? Which is why these famous influencers and such work with really great product developers to create something awesome. And then they utilize marketing by having the click funnels and things that they create so that they can make sure that they're getting those conversions. So for those of you listening, you know, I like it when you're interactive. So you can go to akgcreative.com and learn more about Encore while we're talking and find different ways to contact him. But yeah, I love that formula. I think that's pretty cool. And I like the fact that uh, you've mentioned you got to do them at the same time. I see a lot of that's another thing that I see many people fail with is, you know, they get 80% of the way down their timeline and they're like, oh, we should maybe pay attention to how we're going to market or sell this. And I'm a big advocate of doing that early because there's so many things like you have to fail. You have to fail at it. You have to figure out what kind of of ads, marketing, messaging, platforms, you know, where what's going to really tick for you. I think if you're experienced, it's easy to have a basic idea like, oh, this would be well, for example, start a puzzle like it's uh, if we're going to promote this podcast, Instagram is a great place for us to do that. It's simple for us to put a very simple slide. You know, you have a microphone. So many of you that are listening probably originally saw an ad that said a podcast for entrepreneurs. Simple, straightforward. But we had to test that. We had to test it, you know, test 10 different things. And then I say as a, as a marketer or a startup founder, someone that's trying to figure out how to sell stuff, you're looking for that crack. And once you find that crack, it's your job to figure out how to get an elephant through it. And, you know, is, do you take a similar approach when it comes to, because, you know, the, my crystal ball is broken. I, maybe you have one. And if you do, I want to borrow it. But what, what's your approach in the beginning? How do you figure out what's going to work and what isn't? Okay. So, I mean, you know, loaded question. You want to know my secret sauce of how I look at someone's product and kind of help them push the elephant through. So I think at the end of the day, if I'm not going to use the product, or I wouldn't fall for the marketing, you know, the, the scheme of the messaging and the click to action and everything that's involved there, then no one else will either, right? So at the end of the day, if it's a product that I could never possibly imagine myself using, I go get an audience that I think that product would be for, and I go find out what would work for them, right? I literally just ask, right? If you're selling beauty products, go get some women that use beauty products and find out what type of messaging would work for them. I mean, the big guys do this in focus groups, They've been doing it for years, right? We've seen it in movies. We've seen it everywhere you look, right? But if you're selling something on Amazon, like a supplement, or you're selling something on Amazon, like in a power line, and you yourself wouldn't buy the item based on how you described it, the photos that are involved in it, the videos, that the reviews, so on and so forth, then like no one, no one wants to buy it either. And I think some people get too prideful in the fact that they got it done, that they don't actually put themselves in the customer's shoes. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I love the idea that, you know, if you're not your own target audience, then you need to go find one. Um, but, so if you needed to do that on a simplistic level, do you think it's easy just to like try to find 10 people? You talk about a focus group. 
Um, in some places that might be easier to put together than others. But if you need if you were a startup, regardless of, of what you're selling, anything from software to a product, what's a simple way for you to get that feedback? I mean, do you find 10 people that are willing to sit down and tell you the truth? Or do you need to really find a focus group type company that will help you really, really find the people you're looking for? I mean, it's 2020, man. Uh, you're a joke of a person if you don't know one popular person in your circle, right? So if you yourself aren't popular enough to have social media with with friends and, and followers and people that you can get engaged, go get that popular person to help you out. And if you can find that person or you are that person yourself and you're passionate about what you're doing, I think people in the world will support you. I think tens of number, that's, that's really... Uh, you know, a joke at the end of the day. And if you're someone in the audience that doesn't have 10 people and you need someone popular, hit me up. I'll, I'll send you 10 people at any point, <laughs> right? Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll parlay with you there, sure. <laughs> I think the real question is, you know, the product that you're creating, is there an audience for it, right? I think uh, I've sat in rooms where drink, I'm drinking beers with some of the boys and they'll be like, well, you know, I can't believe that this one product doesn't exist. And, you know, they'll be solving something like there's no bottle opener on my keychain. Right. Obviously, there's plenty of that right now. But, um, you know, back in 1994, when I wasn't old enough to drink beers and I was trying to figure out how to open a beer and there wasn't one on my keychain, like, why didn't someone think of this before? So obviously, an audience for something like that, where you're solving a problem, it's very easy for you to figure out, OK, how can I find someone that fits this mold of a customer? But let's say that you know, you're someone with a, a crazy science background and you're working on something real innovative in stem cell science or real innovative in uh, ways that a four-year-old or five-year-old could learn how to do math or science better. I mean, sometimes it's hard to get access to those types of people. You know, for example, if you're doing something with kids and you don't have kids yourself, uh, it, it, can, it can definitely be a little hard, right? But you shouldn't be afraid to go ask that one popular person that does fit your target audience in your network for help. And, you know, let's say that they want a piece of the pie for helping you do it all. I mean, at the end of the day, you're never going to be successful unless you can get someone that can be inside the psyche of your potential customer. And I, I think when people look for partners, sometimes they're looking for someone who's like a tech wizard, or sometimes they're looking for a product guy, or sometimes they're looking for a face of the company. You should also have a customer as one of your partners. Right, because they can give you answers that no one else can if you don't. You're, you yourself aren't that person. Yeah, I'm down with that for sure. And by the way, I have yet to meet a beer that I could not open. Whether I, whether I have an opener on my keychain or not, I've and, and I and I haven't always been great at that. But that's a problem that I have yet to be able to not solve. So how, how just getting that you? out. Just getting. How old when I figured that out. Yeah. It took a while. Yeah, it took a little bit. It was definitely experience and time. I turned 45 this year. So yeah, I've had uh, I've had uh, um, uh, quite a few years. I've got about three decades of trying. And yes, that means I, that started at around 15. Come on, bro. I was like 11 or 12. And I didn't know that you could use a or a ledge. And I was in like one of my boys' basements where we were like sneaking the beers. So that like no one would know. So you could like chip it on the desk, like you get in trouble. Don't use your teeth. Teeth is a bad idea. I've had some people. I've tried that before. I did take that. Took one pass at it and then got it figured out. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think one of the things when it comes to asking feedback is, you know, okay, let's just say you know you have access to different people. The, 
I, I try to, and I've done so much of this when everything from the books that I've written to the anything, and you got to find people that as well, that you feel comfortable, aren't just going to tell you yes. Cause there's a whole segment of people out there. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I think that's going to be a big winner. And really those people are the ones that, I mean, they would probably tell you anything was a good idea. They don't want to be critical. Um, they're, they're shy. They don't want to hurt your feelings. I look for the, I, I have, I, pro, I could come up with a list of people. Like if I really wanted a critical response, I'm like, here's 20 people that I know are just going to tell me exactly how it is. I, I want people that are going to tell me, Hey man, this sucks. This is terrible. You know, and, and, and the thing is, is they're doing you a favor. If you, if you, I mean, if they're the right people now, some, some people are haters. Some people are going to hate no matter what, you know, they're just like, Oh, this sucks. Blah, 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 blah. Now I want to have, I want to hear why it sucks, you know, why you don't like it. But yeah, if you can find those people and that, then for me, I'm listening for the echo. I want to hear what, and I, I refer to the echo a lot just in life. You know, it's that repetition, that re repetitive message. You know, someone's, this sucks because, this is tough because, I don't like this because. You hear it over and over and over, and now you're on to something. I mean, is, is that the same process that you look at? Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, though, for me, unlike you, you know, I might have difficulties opening beers, but I rarely ever hear a, a negative echo. So, I mean, when I do get those negative echoes, I immediately make the changes, right? Now, right. I, I run into this scenario where I think startup guys hear the echo, but they don't know how to change or pivot because they've invested so much to get it to that point where they could show it to someone and now they're stuck. They're like, we either have to launch it the way it is or you know, we're SOL because if we pivot, we don't have the runway cash to make this work. So those are the scenarios where creative solutions are the ones that are king, right? So that you can create iterations. And I think it's unfortunate, but you know, you look at something like Kickstarter, right? You have to create 3D renders and you have to figure out how to do things in ways where you have points where you can go check with that audience, you know, what do they think? And if you don't, if you, like you said, if you have that point at 80% in, that's going to be a problem. And I don't think enough people that, Well, that. that's, that's a product of waiting too late. That's waiting too long. I mean, that's almost, I mean, do you attribute, like, I would think that 99% of instances where that occur is when you're so far down the timeline, you haven't asked. Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember someone was in love with the idea of taking Goldschlager vodka, but putting it into protein, not the actual vodka, the gold flakes. Right? They wanted people to have protein farts with gold flakes. I'm like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever thought of. But they thought of like, you know, hey, look, we can bro this out. And like, this could be a huge thing. It could go viral with the concept and so on and so forth. So I, uh, you know, I'm in the process of figuring out how to make this happen. You know, because obviously putting in a metal, like, you know, even the micro gold flakes is going to be a problem in, in any manufacturing facility, right? So coming up with the solutions for how to make all this work. You know, these guys are all, all of a sudden, you know, asking for samples and, and getting all sorts of products. And they got the focus group. And even the bros were like, I would never pay 50 bucks for a bottle of protein. Like, what are you guys doing? Trying to, you know, charge me $50 for a pound. It, it just won't make sense. But these guys were out, I think, 15 grand in sampling and travel costs and, and all the stuff that they had going on with this crazy idea of theirs. But, um, I mean, man, I just, I just wish people, you know, that had those outlandish ideas have a mentor right in place where they can sit down and guide them on 
you know, this is the the critical mass point where like, if you can't get past this one hurdle, don't even bother going down this road. So, and once again, go to akgcreative.com to learn more about what Encore does. Is So is that what, in your consultancy, is that, is that a central focus of what you're trying to do is like basically saying, hey, I'll be that voice. I'm going to tell you like, hey, this is a shitty idea. Now, is, is that a big part of it? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm brutally honest. Like Simon Cowell, brutally honest with one of these, uh, you know, yeah. startup guys that will approach me. And I, all my advice is free. So I will, I will help anyone that needs help. If you actually need me to put work hours behind helping you accelerate your business, that's where I charge. And that's what's been really successful for me. And you know, at the end of the day, if someone comes to me and says, hey, I have this really crazy idea and it's, um, you know, we can't afford to hire consultants or afford to have you know, tech guys on the team or what have you. Uh, I've even gone as far as investing in their idea if it was a good idea. But I, I feel like there's not enough guys like you and me out here giving out free advice to these, these people because it's crazy, right? You look at a nine to fiver, they're, they're, not, they're most likely not changing the world or making it a better place, right? They're just operators that are drones going through day, day in and day out of life. But the entrepreneurs, the ones that are really changing the world, right? They're not getting supported, and they're falling apart. Right? I think Harvard Business Law said that it was ninety-eight percent of startups fail in their first year. How crazy is that? It's it's like seriously depressing to think that these people that are trying to change the world don't have the ability to do it. I bet you're gonna love. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of. Re- there's a. I mean, so many reasons for that. I mean, and we've done episodes on why startups fail. Actually, if you want to have an interesting listen, go find the recent. It's in the last couple months, titled "Why Startups Fail." We went through thirty different reasons, and one of the biggest ones was just there's just not a market for this. And um, you talk about that brutally honest, that Simon Cowell kind of thing. I, I, I'm, I do that because I look at that as public service. And especially if it's someone that I know that I like or that I care about, like I will say, hey, look, I'm trying to do you a favor here because this this is not going to fly. Like and I don't th- and, and when, sometimes I see people that, you know, in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, one of the very first things is understand your path to revenue. Because I think people grossly, and I mean grossly, miscalculate how long it's going to take to put $1 of revenue in the bank. And that's why, and you talk about that 98% failure rate, that is the biggest reason. Because they think that four months later, they're going to have 50% market share. They're pitching that. You know, they're like, hey, in six months, we'll, we'll have 10% market share. I'm looking at them going, this is a $300 million market. In, unless something magical happens for you in six months, no way. And they're banking on that. I mean, do, do you see similar things when it comes to that? It's just like, you know, they say, uh, well, with my kids, I'll say your eyes are bigger than your stomach. You know, like they want nine pieces of pizza, but I know they're going to eat one. You know, so... I feel like you see this in like a regular employment situation, right? Where, um, you know, someone comes into a company, they uh, haven't adopted the corporate culture yet, but they feel like they're entitled because they have a college degree, right? Or they're entitled because they work three years somewhere. These same startup guys, I mean, they feel entitled because like, hey, look, I put together a business plan. You should write me a check. And, you know, you're looking at their financial projections and you're just like, they don't have a single person on the team who's done it before, Right. They don't have a single person on the team who's, who knows how to disrupt or to sell or do any of this stuff. So how do I validate the business model? Now, I, when I run across those types of people, I ask them, you know, do you have a board of advisors? 
you have you have people in place to solve that issue for a potential investor and then you know what is your to market game plan right if you're going to be launching in six months and you have a twenty thousand dollar marketing budget for a 300 million dollar industry i mean there's no chance there's no chance yeah game now, over yep if you know, your initial order is for 500 units, right? Or your initial bandwidth for your service is 500 people. I mean, you have to be able to quantify what that will lead to in profit, right? Or in revenue. And then you can only multiply that based on what the industry is doing for any other product, right? So you can't say that, you know, hey, I have this new personal training service and I'm gonna launch an app and now all of a sudden I'm gonna have 500 customers. There's not enough hours in the day for you to do 500 customers. So like, why is anyone going to help you build this app? But uh, it's, it's unfortunate, man. I, I hear it all the time from people and I try to lay it out for them that this is the reason it's not going to work. And then they feel like consultants like you or me are just the, the haters, right? But I oh, try yeah. to take the extra step and, and show them, you know, this is how you can do it. And instead of asking for 50K from an investor, what you should be asking for is $3,000 so that you can build a website instead of an app with a guy from you know overseas and you could easily do a proof of concept right here to see whether or not you could even pull in 50 customers to pay for like a digital thing and i mean when that happens that's usually my turning point of where i'm able to win these people over and and show them an easier path to the finish line well speaking of hiring people to build you things at affordable rates fullscale.io that's what we do so 100, 180 developers in our office in Cebu City in the Philippines helping. We, we help entrepreneurs uh, create their dreams. And, you know, at the same time, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to people on the way in. We're very selective about who our clients are because, you know, one thing that and, and Matt and I, Matt's my business partner at Full Scale. And, and we work with a lot of different companies, but sometimes we turn people down and we're simply like, you just, you know, said, Hey, I just going to be honest with you. I don't think this is going to work. And even if we do the greatest job we've ever done and this flops, you're going to hate me for it. You're going to think that it was, you know, you're, you're going to think that it was us that did it and different stuff. I see a lot of under-resourced stuff coming in, you know, like a, a million dollar build with a $20,000 grant to get it started. And, you know, the thing is people don't realize how quickly some of that dough is going to disappear and it go, it can go fast, man. And it's a, you talk about being adults. I mean, how are you going to support yourself? How are you going to, you know, just even pay for your AWS server if that's where it's at and just all these different things get moving. And, and one of the things as well in these early stage businesses is you need to surround yourself with people that have a variety of skills. You need Swiss army knives, not swords at that point. Um, and we, I compare developers to Swiss army knives or swords a lot. You have some people that they do one thing and everyone knows that guy. They're like, I'm this, I'm a CFO. <laughs> you know, it's like, I am a finance guy. You don't want to have someone that's that omnidirectional when it comes to early stage stuff. Is that, is that part of your advice pack when you give like for an early stage person, like what, what, what's some, what are some crown jewels of just basic advice you would give someone, even if, even if it's just a initial consultation? Yeah. So um, I kind of want to quantify that piece of advice that you just gave, because I wouldn't want someone to hear that swords are not worthwhile. So I think no, there's they a are. You want them in battle. You want them in battle. You just don't want to be opening, trying to open a can of beans in camp with them later. Yeah. 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 So I, I think in startup culture, 
pre-launch and pre-turning point. Turning point is going to be where um, there's that magical formula of 2x EBITDA, right? And if you're able to get to that point where people are seeing that, you know, proof of, you know, the proof of case is here and everything is going to be successful, that's where you now invest in swords where you're able to accelerate the growth of the business. So while you're starting off the business, the Swiss Army knives are, are pivotal, right? You want guys that aren't afraid to roll up their sleeves, jump into the trenches with you and, and literally do whatever it takes to help get the company from that initial starting point to profit to the number that everyone needs to see. We're like, okay, great. This company is actually ready. It's proven. It's time to have it take off. Now, a lot of people find themselves surrounded by swords early, right? For example, you know, when I was starting off, I, you know, I defined myself as a sword when it comes to web development, graphics, um, with sales, talking to people. Actually, I guess I'm, I'm like a Swiss Army knife of a lot of swords. I'm like the Game of Thrones chair. I, I was gonna, but, I was gonna say as as I've gotten older, I've I've added the sword to my own Swiss Army knife. But yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think one of the things is that we had to figure out. Uh, okay, great. Like I am good at finance. I, I got a degree in it, right? But at the end of the day, I don't enjoy day to day cash flow, right? I have to find someone that is an enforcer that's going to stop me from spending in, in a certain area and that I'm actually going to respect enough to listen to make a change. But I can handle it for the first year, right? I can handle the QuickBooks account. I can handle the little pieces I need to handle to get it to a certain point. And I feel like a lot of people think like, okay, great. You know, my best friend's a coder or my best friend is a, you know, a big finance guy. They're easily going to be able Famous to jump last words, man. Famous last words. They're no longer your best friend after the company, right? Yeah. But, um, Famous last words, right? But you know, the expectation is that that best friend who's a sword is going to come in and help you make your dream a reality. And, you know, they're brought in thinking that they're going to be a partner, but the reality is they're a sword. So I think a lot of people try to build like their star football team, right? And, you know, they find, uh, they find out that they might not be the quarterback. They need to bring someone to be the quarterback. But, um, you know, they find like a star wide receiver, but there's no quarterback to throw it to them. So then everything just falls apart. And I mean, at the end of the day, I think everyone logically knows it, but everyone's too busy in the trenches when they're when they're starting off to, to analyze their situation and come up with the proper roadmap. And that's where I think guys like you and me help these, these startup guys really kind of get past that. But I don't think enough startup guys know that that type of analysis is free. Right. I yeah, think it, it, well, it really is. And, you know, we're in this golden age of information. Like, listen to this podcast. Like, dude, if you had need to hire me for an hour, it's more expensive than this podcast is because this shit's free. And I always tell people on the podcast, if you don't like it, we'll, we have a money back guarantee here at Startup Hustle. So if you're a listener and you don't like the show, we'll give you your money back. Uh, but I mean, look at, there's half a million podcasts out there. There's, I literally have trained myself how to be a modern day entrepreneur on Google and YouTube, dude. Like, and I, I say that in my, in million dollar bedroom, I'm like, I, you know, I've dropped out of five colleges. I've went to five different colleges and now I'm a junior. Technically I'm <laughs> five colleges later. I'm a fucking junior in college. I'm imagining and, and my that, Indian mother, my Indian mother is shaking her head at you right now. Oh, she would. Yes, I would. Yes, I would have. Yes, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Well, look, my American mother was shaking her head. That was my sister's an anesthesiologist. So for me to have dropped out of five colleges, trust me, I was on the I was the first male in my family in three generations to not go to Notre Dame University. 
And that's because you can't get into Notre Dame with a 2.1 high school GPA. I just wasn't into school. I w- you mentioned being a hustler early. I was, you know, I was always doing a lot of stuff. I knew I was an entrepreneur. Like, I don't ever remember not knowing it. You know, I was five years old with a lemonade stand, that kid. And not just one afternoon. Like, I thought that was my job, you know, and uh, just doing different stuff. And and th- those kind of things really helped. Um, you talk about the the, the, that message early. And, you know, I want to really go back and I know I said this earlier, find people that are willing to tell, you no. and, you know, there's a difference between someone that's willing to be honest with you and someone that just sucks. Like some people are just fucking negative, you know, and that's fine. They can give you some input, but there are a lot of people the people that really care the most about you are willing to be honest with you. And, you know, there's someone that's out there. Now, the hardest part for a lot of entrepreneurs is many of us are, are ego driven. We think Ooh, our what? ideas are no great. Yeah, 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 right. I know it's tough to believe. And then you you have people, you have people throwing stones at you and that's the way it can feel. They're not throwing stones at you. They're helping you build a fortress. And, you know, so rather, you know, and I think that's one of the hardest things that, Um, you know, so over time I I have continually mentored entrepreneurs. I have continually allowed myself to be a sounding board for people. I'll pretty much sit down with, with most people and give them my, uh, give them my input, just a quick consult. But I do have a rule that goes with it. One, don't get mad at me if I don't tell you what you, what you want to hear. And I'm not going to argue with you after I give you my opinion about why you're right and I'm wrong. Because that's a waste of my time, you know, and now if you can find people that'll, I'm telling you, you just got to ask, you got to ask, like I've just made it, I've literally made a living in life by simply asking, like finding people that are asking, it was the same thing with like you on the podcast for friends on Facebook. And you saw me, I asked, I was like, Hey, who do I need to have on the podcast? And you literally said me, cool. Let's do it, you know, and, but that's the whole point. Like if you had, you saved me time, you didn't, you know, you didn't like find a friend to nominate you or anything. You're like, Hey, me, I think I have something to say and right into it, book the time we're done, you know? And, and that's the thing is just don't be afraid to ask. But at the same time, you have to be, you have to be accepting, accepting that someone else's opinion and input could potentially be right if it's not the same as yours. So, um, yeah, you, you kind of chuckled and laughed like, oh, us, we're egotistical, maybe egotistical, but it's true. So, I mean, how often do you run into that? The uh, the quote unquote, but hurt entrepreneur. Man, I am. Um, I try to maybe run that's away. the name for a podcast. That's a good podcast name, isn't it? Would that get. <laughs> I try to run away the second I, I realize that that's who I'm dealing with. Um, I, okay, so I guess I'm the Those type people of people are hard to work with. Is that is that why you're running? Because like no matter what, you're not going to ever convince them that their way might not be perfect. So as a consultant, right, who does the type of stuff that I do, and as a you know an agency of the stuff that you you do, right. It's so often that founders who haven't established themselves with an actual track record feel that people like us are like basic vendors and not necessarily experts in our category. And if the person I'm speaking with can't establish the difference between an expert 
right? And a startup, I, I just, I want nothing to do with them when it comes to being their consultant because it, I, it, I, hear it you runs, yeah. I run into this road where I, I'm not even charging someone for this advice and they're sitting here telling me how to do something they've never done before. And it's not like I'm a, a like a brick wall when someone's you know talking to me, but if you find yourself encountering that such situation as an agency or as a you know individual consultant in the audience, my, my solution is like just don't be afraid to cut the cord and walk away, right? Because at the end of the day, there are so many good customers and good startups that will value what you do and will, will treat you right that you don't have to worry with these people that want to break you down to like the lowest piece of yourself. And then guilt you into helping them. And yeah. uh, I mean, more we, than we, that, say, we say that a lot on core, like a lot, like, and you know, the thing is, is there's not every client is a good client. Just because someone's willing to pay you does not mean that that's a good client. And that's tough for a lot of people to learn, like, and, and learning to cut that cord early. I say there's two four letter words in sales, sold and next. Those are the only two. And that, that yelling next is the best thing you can do. Cause if someone's problematic in that initial consultation period. If you don't like working with them, all of that stuff, I mean, how are you going to feel if you're going to, if you're a service provider and you mentioned, and I appreciate your analogy of, of, Hey, look, we're kind of a, we're an enhanced service provider. That's the same thing at full scale. Like Matt sold us, the other Matt sold his first software business when he was 29 years old for 150 million bucks. I tell people, I'm like, if that isn't someone that you're willing to listen to, I, we can't help you. Isn't that where you're trying to go? Because the because the roadmap to that destination is hard to find. That's what we're all looking for. And here's someone that's been down it and is traveling back down it again. So, you know, and that's the kind of stuff you talk about, what kind of vendors and what kind of partnerships. If you're not good at marketing, go find someone like AKG Creative and get the input. I, I think marketing and branding for me, it's very natural and simple. It comes, it's, it's easy for me. I can look at, I'm like good, bad, you know, like, and it's pretty, I'm sure you do the same thing. Like pretty much everywhere I look, I'm seeing green and red when it comes to marketing. I'm like, this is great. This, uh, what, who, who, who approved that? But, you know, find someone that sees that stuff and be willing to listen. So I, that, that's an interesting take. Do you have any other comments on that? I want to hear what your friends and what your wife thinks. I, I bet they think you're colorblind about some things because you think stuff is green and they're like, this is garbage. It'll never work. It took me a long time to understand that maybe about 80% of what I think is green when I look at it is what the entire world sees as green as well. Right. Because but that's for part me, of it though. That's part of it is if you want to see that green and red, I think you have to be able to understand that your green is someone else's red. That's that advanced understanding. Like, hey, this would work for me. This is a message that I hear, but I get that 20% of people are going to look at this and run. Yeah. Is, is that is that how you mean? Is that what you're, is that what you're yeah, referring I, to? I, I, think, I think it's really important to, uh, you know, let's say your target customer is four buckets, right? And they fit all four of those buckets. All of a sudden they're a target customer. You still have to figure out how to get green messaging to someone who's got only two of your buckets, right? Because they're still a potential customer, but they're not like the ideal customer. I think that's where a lot of people mess up in messaging, right? They don't understand. Like if you're trying to sell protein and you're trying to sell it to a yoga person, it's got to be and it's a very specific message for a yoga person and a totally different message for like this hardcore bodybuilder. 
and people will show both both audiences the same ad. It's like, why isn't this working? It's like, well, you know, these two people are probably fitting two out of your four buckets, and you're showing them an ad for someone with four out of four buckets. So what did you expect was going to happen? So you have to be really aware of that X plus Y, like the, the people that are in your Y, because, you know, you might have gotten the bodybuilder or the yoga person for five cents, right? But the person that's your ideal person, who's like a college kid, who's trying to be ripped or whatever, uh, might cost you $10 to get. And if you're able those, if you're able to convert those five set people because they're in your Y already, that's how you win. Yeah, you know, one, I I see a lot of people or have had a conversation with a lot of people that look at their TAM, their total addressable market, and they're like, "We got three hundred million people in America. We can market this to," and they think that's a plus. I'm like, dude, good luck with that. And they're like, what do you mean? We could sell to anyone. I'm like, are you going to buy a Super Bowl ad to get your message to all of them? Like, who are you? You're better off to be trying to find 1% of people. Because in this day and age, you can be remarkably precise about who you deliver your message to. And, and you know, some people make the mistake. They're like, okay, oh, as I thin, as I thin my demographic down, I see my projected CPM rising. That's okay in many cases, because if you're just shooting a BB gun into a tornado when it comes to marketing, and that's the way that you should look at most marketing. Like, am I it, am Oh, am I going to stop this thing with my red rider BB gun? No, it's, it's just going to get sucked up and absorbed. It's a very, very loud world out there. You know, back when, uh, when people still read newspapers at one point, the, the, uh, any of the New York papers had enough paper in them to cover every surface in the average American home. So now you have to find your ad in there. How long could that take? And maybe it's face down onto the cabinet that you just sucked it up to. And that's an interesting way to look at it. But, you know, how do you get that precision delivery? Um, have you learned any important lessons about that when it comes to targeting? Yeah, man. Um, a lot of people will try to pick a, an audience without looking at the creative. At the end of the day, you might have had a creative in mind. And then the end creative might be a couple degrees off. But that might that should change your audience that you build for that creative. And I think that's something that I've learned through the years is the difference between, you know, a, a 1.5 ROAS ad spend or like a 5X ad spend ROAS. And uh, I mean, those types of things, you've got to have someone that understands color theory, typography, uh, timing, all that kind of stuff when it comes to something like that. Because, again, the creative is never going to be what you thought it was, right? When you sent the RFP out to the creative team and um, you, you get back something that's a little different than what you had originally envisioned, you might love it still, right? But because they used Nike instead of Adidas as the, the sneakers that the person wore while they're working out in the gym video in the background, you need to look at that as, as to what you target, right? Because certain people are going to love Nike and, and react to it positively versus others. So I don't want to get I don't want to get out of this episode before we spend just like two minutes talking about brand packaging because I know you're an an expert there and we'll we'll consider brand packaging also to be like even a tech company's homepage or the message that they're delivering you know one of the things and and I'll I'll kind of lead off here I have what I call the flashcard test 
and you know a flashcard, something that literally you hold up for a flash. If you can't look at your homepage, your packaging, your ads, or anything in that in that one moment, like two seconds max, and show it to someone and then not show it, just boom, boom, like a flashcard. And if they can't tell you what you're selling, what your message is, or what your offering is, you failed. Agreed. I, I literally call it the same thing, and I, I call it the I, the the blink test. You know, yeah. when you're, when you're looking yeah. at something yeah. and when you look away, if you don't know what it is that they're doing, then I mean, like, what was the whole point of paying the money to get that person to the website, right? Or you know, if you're creating a package and it's on a retail shelf at Whole Foods, I mean, you literally have that—that's one to two seconds if they're walking by that one spot in the aisle to cast their attention. And if you're not doing that, I mean, you lost. Yeah, someone out there right now is listening to this episode and scrolling. They're just like flick, 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 you know, running their phone through something. That's that's the blank or the flashcard moment right there. Like those count as ad impressions. You know, trust me, Instagram's charging someone when you pass that sponsored ad and it's tough. So I have an exercise for those that are listening. I want you to take whatever it is that you do and be able to be able to deliver your your offering in one sentence, you know, in full scale, like helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. That's the whole thing. That's what we do. That's like, that is our offering. So now can we do that a bunch of different ways through a bunch of different mixes, people approaches? Yes. But if I don't get your attention for that, we're not going to have that conversation about those eight different directions that we can go. Yeah, I mean, I um, I found, you know, like the whole like blank for dummies approach, it almost yeah. works as well, right? Uh, yeah. For example, I was at a, a supplement manufacturing uh, firm for a couple of years, and uh, you know, when I got there, I looked at their website. Uh, they had an acronym for the company name of the original founders, and uh, you know, unfortunately, when you're looking at that situation, you uh, are not necessarily telling people what you do. So, you know, we immediately slogan marked, we make supplements as the name of the company, right? And, you know, when you go to the website, Podcast you're going to see their logo. Entrepreneurs, yeah, yeah. You're going to see their logo real tiny in the corner, right? But then there's a huge hero banner that says, we make supplements. And there's not a single person in the world that went to that website or saw them at an expo that didn't know exactly what they do. And I feel like not enough people understand that the consumer doesn't necessarily care what your name is. Right? The consumer cares about is their time being wasted when they're doing the research because they have a limited amount of time to find the solution that they need. Yeah. And I think you're like, I always tell people to look for things that are just like bounce points, you know, like, and that's the whole thing is one of the, one of the things you'll look at, you know, at a website is, you know, what's the bounce rate on a page or how many people stay there or whatever. Like, look, if you can't get that mess, you have three seconds at best. People bounce fast. And, you know, it, like I said, we could go on and on and on because I've seen great ads that lead to the worst landing pages, the worst websites, the worst everything. Um, you know, the thing that drives me nuts is when people, you, any ad that you create that you're going to have digitally, uh, you know, my book editor taught me this uh, years ago because I, I had a sample cover that I liked and he looked at it and I'm like, what do you think? He's like, I fucking hate it. And I was like, whoa, I didn't expect him to say that. He didn't curse a whole lot and for him to say that. And I was like, why? He goes, shrink it down to the size of a thumbnail and tell me if you still like it. And I was like, oh, wow. 
Because I did that. I, you know, like you're looking at how big is a book cover on an Amazon listing as you're scrolling through. It's tiny. And you can look at the titles of my books and you can see they are very, very, very easy to find and pick out in a thumbnail size. And the same thing goes, you look at, I think people try to get it too wordy. Like I, I'm going to fall back on that, a podcast for entrepreneurs, that ad and a very, very modest amount of Instagram advertising is what put this podcast in on Apple's charts and kept it there. And it's because the thing is, is if you think, okay, I listen to podcasts and I'm an entrepreneur, I'm, your goal, people look at things like CPC and they're like, well, I tried it and it didn't work. I got a bunch of clicks and I didn't sell anything. No, the CPC worked. The CPC's job is to get clicks to wherever you're sending them. It worked just fine. You're failing on the other side of it. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, Okay, if that's the response to that, I realize I have a lot of work to do with a potential client. But yeah, I mean, do you see the same thing? Like oh, my, my CPC ads didn't work. I got a shitload of people that clicked, but no one was buying. I mean, the CPC worked. <clears throat> yeah, I, I try to drive it home for people by comparing it to a retail store, right? So, you know, for conversation's sake, if you were a Starbucks and yeah, actually that's a bad example. Let's just say you were a coffee shop on the corner of uh, Main Street and you, know, you put out a giant sign that says free espresso shots when you walk in. And you know, that's the, a pretty similar offer that a lot of people will make for their type of business. Um, and you, know, you go in for your free espresso shot and you had an extra 100,000 people come in because you gave them some flashy offer and you know, they came and took the offer. But they're like, well, why did we lose $10,000 that day instead of you know, getting all these people to, to try something else? Like the inside of your store might look like crap, right? If you don't have signage like Starbucks has all over the place, trying to get people to try something. Uh, maybe the people that were working at your front desk don't know how to speak. You know, they're not trained properly. Could, in how you, to convert could, or you, could you could have too, too many steps, too many anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so line, you, know, yeah. You, might have, you might put the table right at the front for your free espresso shot. You should have put it in the back, force them to walk through the whole coffee shop and then get their free espresso shot. But these types of things when you're looking at your website, you know, you have a 2d plane to try to create the same experience. And if that, that experience isn't as optimized and you can't describe it to me like a retail store and how, and how and why every piece is where it is, then chances are the end customer is not going to get caught on your site. And that little exercise where I'm like, Hey, explain to your website, like it's a retail store and tell me what every section would be if I was walking through a store and nine times out of 10, that works. The, the, the customer immediately realized like, oh, our awning sucks or, oh, I need to put more stuff by my register. And all of a sudden, you know, everything starts coming together for them and they're able to create a full-fledged e-commerce sales funnel. I, you know, I do a similar thing and it's, uh, you're, you're, you're my new best friend when it comes to marketing, by the way, because very similar in the thought process. But when I meet other people that are, that are marketing experts and I consider myself to be one, it's not my core functionality. I do it for my own stuff, not necessarily for as much for clients, but everyone thinks the same. It's, it's very simple, but I, I, you talk about the retail store. I tell people, I say, picture a cash register. What obstacles are between your buyer, subscriber, lead, anyone, and that cash register? And they're like, well, I don't see any. I'm like, well, there's seven steps that you're making someone go through that could be three. You're asking things like the more, the more steps, the more entries, the more data, the harder you make it, for people to get to the cash register, the less people will get to the cash register. Human nature 
almost always takes the easiest, shortest path. Why does Amazon have 54% of e-commerce sales everywhere? It is really, really easy to get to the cash register. Swipe here. It'll be at your house really fast. That's, I mean, they, they, Amazon is the crown jewel of removing steps and obstacles on the way to the cash register. It's that simple. And that's why they make it fast. They make it easy. You have a lot, you understand the reliability, you know, like I believe that when they tell me something will be here tomorrow by 9 PM, that it will. And those are steps on the way. Look, I mean, the amount of money that that company has invested in that is probably outstandingly large, but look how effective it is. So, well, once again with us today, and this was great. I, I really enjoyed this. Encore Garg, CEO and founder of AKG Creative. Go to akgcreative.com to see his site. There's a lot of cool information there. Um, while you're on Instagram, checking out the at Startup Hustle podcast page, Find him there too. And, and Encore K Garg on the yeah. gram and the same on Twitter. And, so I, I was yeah. and this guy in India had bought EncoreGarg.com and did nothing with it for 10 years. Right. So I waited. It was the day that, you know, that I knew this thing was going to come available and I hit him up. I'm like, listen, man, I will pay you any amount of money you want for EncoreGarg.com. He's like, no, man. Uh, and he started forwarding it to his LinkedIn page. I'm like, I hate this guy. I hate this guy with a passion because he does nothing <laughs> with, his, with his branding tool. So I started branding myself as Encore K Guard, right? So that's A-N-K-U-R. K is my middle initial and then Guard for my last name. And, I, and I've seen some good traction, but I think my favorite moment was when he emailed me and he goes, all these people are emailing you. I know, and you got to get them to stop. I'm like, wow, what's happening? So I keep getting emails at contact.com and they're definitely not asking for me because they're asking for marketing help or whatever. And like, this needs to stop. My buddy just sent me the domain and he still won't give me the domain. But I got that little piece of like satisfaction. Like you like when your ex sees you with a new hot girl, it, it was perfect. Oh, yeah. So yeah, um, I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm mattdec.com. Uh, people spell DeCourcy wrong a lot. I wanted it to be short. One of the things I, I, suggest in a million dollar bedroom is if your if your domain can't fit into the allowable characters on the twitter handle it's too long you know so you know just trying to figure different things out that's another thing too i'd say there's a i need to send you a copy of million dollar bedroom because there's a whole there's a whole section in there about all the shit you're going to do wrong dumb stuff like don't put like putting a hyphen in your uh in your domain in your dot com will forever sentence you to telling people that it's whatever hyphen another word dot com like if you feel that you want to say that for the rest of the life of your business then that's a good choice and then oftentimes too i uh, i use an example some people uh, don't consider what certain things look like when they smash words together so if you, I use the, the example of compass wholesalers sell, spells the word asshole in the middle of it. And there's just, you know, you see these funny things on uh, these funny signs and other stuff on, on, fa yeah, Facebook and, you know, just different things. I've seen people push things together and have KKK in there, you know, like just different shit. I'm like, dude, that's not a good look. Like it shouldn't be in there. Think of something different. So, well, once again, man, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, go to uh, akgcreative.com and learn more about what he does. I got to run, man. I got a whole bunch of brand messaging to approve. I'll see you next time. All right. 
Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.